Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, May 13th, 2021, otherwise known as International Hummus Day. You guys big hummus dippers? I'm just glad it's international. But I have thought of a way that we could use hummus interestingly. So Mike loves a good double-decker taco. But if you're going more Mediterranean with like some some chopped chicken, some cucumbers, some feta cheese. This could be one of the tacos. More of like a cold taco with a hummus in the other layer. I think hummus is probably maybe has a slightly different nutritional profile than than, uh, refried beans. I think we could be onto something. Yeah. I mean, you guys need menu items for the container taco, whatever. Yeah. The Mediterranean taco, double decker, hummus in between. I like it. That's pretty good. Glad we had this talk. Boom. What are you guys working on? Chris, hit it. You're up, man. So I've, uh, since we last spoke, I put together that dining table with the semi-exact legs. So, Ooh, yeah, it so, looks so good. You sent us clean. pictures. Well, okay. Co- so really quickly, in case you missed last week, just for the listener, these are the legs that Chris designed to be made by semi-exact. They're like prefabricated right. metal legs for tables and DIY. Yes. Okay. So the video will not be out this week because we have a different video coming out first. And then this one will come out like maybe next week on Thursday, the 20th, I think. So yeah, that would be next week on Thursday. And for the video, so so they're actually going to be shipping out the real finished legs, you know, non-prototype. Probably by the time this podcast comes out, they should have shipped. They'll probably get to me either really late this week or really early next week. So I should have time to squeeze them into the video. But to build the video, I ended up using the other vague, the other legs. The other legs are very similar dimensionally. So they're they're pretty similar to what you would get. It's just gonna be like a few little refinement things that that needed to get corrected from the prototype. And then obviously a color change. But yeah, they've they worked out great. Like the project I was, so I basically tried to take one piece of plywood and stretch it as far as I could in terms of like the biggest dining table that I could make. And it came out pretty sturdy. Like I can sit on it. I can stand on it. Like, the, you know, it's got like a little bow to it if I'm sitting on it or whatever. But so I guess don't get on this table and dance if you build it. But if you're just sitting at it and you can eat a pretty heavy meal at it and it will not bow under it. <laughs> The legs are cool. Like I'm super happy with how they came out. They really do have the same kind of look as like the dining table that I built on the channel a couple years ago and put in the house only actually think they're kind of cooler. Yeah. Just because like metal, you know, you can get like pops of color. You can, if down the road, if we want to change some stuff, we could get more interesting shapes potentially out of them than we can out of out of wood, at least the way that I was doing it. So yeah, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be a a cool product and I'll be excited to see people use them eventually. It's a great project for people that aren't in their forever home yet. If you're going to be moving, but you kind of need a big table, but you might have to move it a couple times over the next five years, those metal legs come on and are off much more effectively than wooden ones in in general. Always exceptions, but that's what I really like about the semi-exact steel stuff is that, you know, I think there was a period of my life where over five years I moved like three or four times. And it's like every time you're taking something apart or like going, especially if you have like a walk up of like two or three flights of stairs, moving a table where it's difficult to take the legs off is a pain in the ass. So really handy for that particular situation. Right. That was something that Matt from Semi-Exact and I were actually talking about, just like the idea of kind of the longevity of something like this. And I think that it is, I mean, like hairpin legs are too, I guess, but I think it's a different look, a more unique look that can kind of grow with you. Like you can put two pieces of plywood on it or a piece of plywood that's made to look like two pieces of plywood, like what I did. You could put a hardwood table that maybe you spent a little more time on, like maybe, you know, you have the first version when you're fresh out of college, you have this version when you're 30. And then when you're 40, you get that slab and you put it on that. And like, they would look equally at home on any of those things. So it's like something that can kind of grow with you. Love it. Very cool. Mike, what you got? I am editing, editing, editing. I've got a few projects in the books. I think three projects done that the videos haven't been released on. And I think last episode I was saying, yeah, I'm just really enjoying building, keeping my head down, but I am now in full edit zone and it's, it's going great. The one project that I did that I haven't gotten a chance to talk about on the podcast, though, was the earth formed concrete for the custom vanity that I did. 
Dude, that thing was sick, right? I did that with my boy Prescott McCarthy, who is sort of a legend. He's one of the OG Joshua Tree Landers like people that kind of saw the potential in it like 10 years ago. And I, I like how that's OG. He's yeah. been here for like 10 ago. years, man. It's forever. <laughs> but no, he's an awesome dude. He's an artist in a lot of different ways and builds some really great stuff. And he's got an Airbnb that him and his business partner are working on out in Landers, which is sort of the rural area outside of Joshua Tree. And it's just an awesome property, but it's got a small cabin on it where on the outside, it's wood siding that was painted white like 50 years ago. And it's just been in the desert and it's got that perfect amount of rustic age to it. But then on the inside, he used that limestone plaster that you talk about, Ben, uh, quite a bit. And he did that basically everywhere. So it's polished concrete floors. He floated a new concrete floor and then did a lot of really awesome like archways, a lot of organic shapes in the framing and then plastered over everything. It's a really, really cool look. And in the bathroom, we did a custom vanity out of this big reclaimed beam that he had. It's funny, everything out in the desert just ages really, really nice. Like the outside of the house looked awesome. So they're just kind of preserving it the same way I'm just preserving the outside of the shed workshop I have. And then making the inside the sort of juxtaposition kind of the wow moment. And this beam is similar. Like you just put stuff out in the desert and it looks really, really good because it doesn't get water damage. It's just UV damage. And we chopped up this beam. We made the vanity base for it. Something real simple. Just it's basically like a, like a pie sign, 3.14 pie Stonehenge. It's just like a T sure. Yeah. Where the, where the legs are inset a little bit, but the real cool part of this project is how we made the top. And this is 100% Prescott's idea, so all credit goes to him. Find him by just Googling his name on Instagram. His handle is his name. But what we did is we dug a hole in the dirt. We wetted it down so that it was soft enough. And we made this hole the perfect like outline that we wanted the concrete to be. Then we threw some melamine in the bottom so we had a really good flat bottom. And we used the natural carved edge of all of the dirt that we carved out to create a faux live edge in this concrete. Mm-hmm. And it looked so cool. The texture that got imprinted, I guess, onto this concrete from the sand looked really, really natural. It didn't look like, you know how sometimes stuff like that can be kitschy, like a fake reclaimed project can look really kitschy. Mm-hmm. But this was straight out of, honestly, like I feel like Tuscany. It had like this country Italian charm to it. And it fit the desert perfectly. Um, That video will be coming out soon, but it was a lot of fun. And it really blew up on Instagram. I had a ton of people messaging me. A lot of people that follow me that I didn't even know follow me were like, hey, this is really cool. And I was just like, oh, hey, thanks for noticing. You know, that's always fun. So is the benefit of like the whole earth form? Hey, Ben, get off your phone. I'm listening. (laughs) No, you're not. Is the benefit of the earth formed thing just to not have to build a form or is it to get that? that like pattern it's to get that whole like natural live edge because it's paired with that big reclaimed beam which is just all texture mm-hmm. and so pairing it with a really modern kind of square look obviously it would look neat we've seen stuff like that but i think that's the whole point that's sort of the go-to and we've seen stuff like that so this is mm-hmm. just a twist on it but i think the really really cool idea is if there's a way of not using melamine to get a flat bottom to this form because whatever the bottom is ultimately becomes the countertop. Okay. If there's a way of not using a sheet good for this, this this all of a sudden becomes like a really, really cool way of making super accessible, like concrete forms. If you don't need sheet goods or if you don't need anything like that at all, then this automatically becomes like very third world friendly in a cool way. And I have a couple of ideas around it. The one that I was thinking would work best, and I want to hear your your guys' idea, is doing your best just to make the form as flat and uniform as possible, but just leaving it dirt or leaving it earth. It doesn't need to be melamine. Of course, it won't be a perfect 
flat countertop when you take it out of the mold or whenever you dig it out of the mold, which is a super fun process because it feels like you're an archaeologist, but you can just do a nice like slurry skim coat to fill in all of those voids and then polish that, sand that back a little bit. And you're left with hopefully like a really nice honed countertop. There's what actually about- there are a whole bunch of ways. This has been done for like a really long time. So if you look okay. at like Arco Sante, they actually built entire buildings and it's really cool because you can use earth forms and build like concrete domes. So you actually pile mm. up the dirt and then you put the concrete over it and then you dig it out from underneath it and you can make these like really cool dome type of shapes. And they wouldn't, they'd, it would sort of be like a mixture of sort of not quite poured in place, but more like a concrete plaster where they'd lay, they'd make a, a dirt mountain, lay the rebar down, you know, kind of have it off the dirt and then they'd layer the concrete. If you wanted to get away from doing melamine, what they do is they pack the dirt down real tight and then they layer in boiled linseed oil and sprinkle a little bit of clay, sprinkle a little bit more dirt, another layer of boiled linseed oil, and then they tamp it down real hard and you can even screed it that way. And what happens is the linseed oil doesn't just like one, it's like, you know how like when you're making sandcastles, if the sand's wet, you can like pack it real tight. You can kind of do that with the fine dirt. But the added advantage is that the linseed oil resists water. And if you can even spray the sides a little bit to avoid it being so you get all that texture, but less weakening of the concrete edges, especially if you have your soils more sandy or more organic, the the soil you guys were using looked like it was kind of reddish, which means it had probably a little bit of clay in it, which is really good. If you don't have that clay, spraying the kind of linseed oil in a spray bottle will help sort of like just make it just water resistant, but it's not adding any texture to the ground formation. So you resist the water, you keep the water in the concrete, keeps the concrete strong, but you can use like sort of a a sand mixture on the bottom. There's also a guy named David Umamoto that's been experimenting on Instagram with sand casting concrete. And it's like the same way they'll cast like cast iron into, you know, into like a sand mold. They do the same thing with concrete and they're just using like water and really packing down a fine sand. So, yeah, when I saw that, it was such great content because it had that sort of like anticipatory moment where you're seeing just this hole and you know something's happening. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I lost my train of thought. Sorry. And Um, and that's just natural intrigue. You know, you just can't fight that. Yeah. But I, I do think it's a great alternative to using melamine. That that is not a great problem. It's also people in in developing countries they'll use just use like you know trash bags or tarps or stuff like that if they're trying to make more of like a structural concrete. But right, I think the the packing to earth and the mixture of the linseed oil would be really interesting. Awesome, I'm gonna give that a try. Like after after doing it, it was it was encouraging to experiment with. It's always nice when the first try does what you want, so you want to do the second and third iteration. And I got the green light. I'm, I got the green light from Prescott. I got the I got the endorsement, even though I don't technically need it. I'm going to put this video out. It'll be all about the vanity, but I'll probably make a couple projects, maybe a bench or a table, something simple where I can really dedicate the video to just experimenting with the concrete process. Maybe, Chris, send me some legs and I can make a table like that or go. something. Boom. Get some synergy going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but, uh, I, that, oh, go for it, Chris. Sorry. I was going to say I have a dumb idea. So knowing okay. nothing about concrete and even less about the earth. So this is why I should have gone before Ben, because Ben, we knew Ben was going to come in with like actual good advice and idea. But the first thing (laughs) I was going to say was, could you just like, instead of putting melamine in the bottom, almost just like make the bottom kind of a slurry, but I'm sure that being wet would do something bad to the concrete. Basically just like wet the bottom a little bit so that you could like smooth it. And then maybe that would create a smooth top when you took the thing out. But Moving on from that, because that's a bad idea. Here's another (laughs) bad idea. What if you had something... This is going on a tangent, by the way. Good. Like, let's say you had these, like... Picture them like a set of, like, different, like, blocks and rectangles that were, like, specific shapes where you could, like, dig out a hole and put those in the bottom in different patterns so that you could... And then you'd have to have some kind of barrier. I don't know if it's just, like, a piece of plastic that you, like, put in between them so that your concrete doesn't attach to them, but so that it leaves you with, like, very specific negative spaces. And so you could pour multiple pieces with these specific negative spaces so that then when you took them out, they, like, fit together. So it's almost you were, like, casting joinery. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
like almost like puzzle pieces so that right. you don't have to dig because the weight always becomes an issue. So if you made the pieces sort of interlock for like a table or a bench or something right. like that, that would be a pretty interesting thing. You could actually do it with just anything flexible and waterproof. So not quite like a plastic bag, but like 16th of an inch like vinyl or like polycarbonate or even sheet metal where you kind of bent it so it's one pour, but it just has a divider so you can remove yeah. it in pieces and then fit the pieces back oh, yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. Then they would just go back together. That's but really cool. The one thing is that the fit could be really tight. And if it's not perfectly straight up and down, it could easily be locked. So you'd probably want to go something like eighth of an inch thick that you could kind of like melt out. So like some sort of like flexible rubber or vinyl. Or I've used bubble wrap for things like that, where you do two pieces of you almost make a bubble wrap sandwich because the weight of the concrete won't pop the bubbles. But if you push it when they're all dried, it'll pop the bubbles and then that wrap can come out. And then you have just enough about an eighth of an inch to a quarter inch of clearance so that you can slide to pieces because sliding heavy pieces of concrete and keeping them perfectly straight as like puzzle pieces, not easy. And the Egyptians aren't around to tell us how they did it. <laughs> that's right. Well, slaves. <laughs> ben goes, eh, that's right. <laughs> that was the most not authentic. Yeah, that's right. I've yeah. ever heard. Okay. So Ben, you're not been building anything. You've been out of town. I caught up with you for a day or two, but yeah. you just got back to Joshua Tree. Yes. So I went to, got, you know, I've been, been waiting to do this for a while, but I was sort of waiting for my second uh, dose of the vaccine. And then, you know, you have to wait the, the two weeks after that. So once I was sort of fully vaccinated, I went out to Miami to record an episode of the Flagrant 2 Because you podcast. don't want to go to Miami unless you're vaccinated. I know, for real. Everyone else I know that's been there has gotten COVID at least once. Really? Yeah, I'll go to Utah, but I'm not going to Miami. <laughs> oh, Miami don't care. Miami is like open, open, open. So I went out there, recorded the yeah, Flagrant 2 podcast with Andrew Schultz. They're doing Let's this, go. They're doing this new sort of edition called flagrant you but it's in the flagrant Two podcast feed on youtube and all the other sort of uh places that it's at but typically flagrant two has been just like this group of guys that kind of hang out talk shop and just kind of like goof around but andrew's been doing more kind of like joe rogan style interviews done with like people like jordan peterson done with this guy jim quick who's really interesting and asked me to be on and just want to like talk about you know, he basically want, he prefaced it as I want to have the conversations that me and him typically have on the phone or just sort of when we're, we're hanging out where we just sort of talk about the various things that are interesting to us. So we went long. It's like two and a half hours. There's also clips available if you if you don't have that time. But the reaction's been been great. Instagram and oddly enough, LinkedIn have been really blowing up for me. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. It's like, you know, it, you have sort of an impression of what somebody's audience is, particularly if it's kind of irreverent or silly or mm -hmm. comedy based. And you're like, oh, this is kind of just like stupid media. It'll be fun. It's entertaining. We'll just sort of, you know, chop it up and, and see where it goes. But really surprised at like the number of kind of interesting, well-credentialed people that hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, particularly around the subjects I talk about, recycling, renewable energy, entrepreneurial stuff, and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. And then after a few days in Miami, he was going on tour, and his next stop was Phoenix. So I flew with their whole crew out to Phoenix, rented a sick Airbnb, called up my boy Mike from Modern Build, said, yo, come on out. It's only a three hour. Phoenix is just a three hour drive from Joshua Tree. And we went to their comedy shows. It was a ton of fun. They're killing it right now. I think there's like a huge appetite for people to kind of go out to live events. The crowd was insane. I think their yeah. audience has really blown up during COVID because of you know the Netflix show and then all those Instagram rants. But yeah, they sold out like five shows over two days for like 400 tickets in like 10 minutes when they launched the tickets. Yeah, at the same venue too. Yeah. So they were just like, man, it's a grind because they do, you know, on Saturday, they did three shows back to back. So it's I like, know. our boy. He's going to be doing a theater tour next. That's, yeah. the, that's the part. You know what I mean? It's like out of clubs, in theaters now. Boom. Yeah. So Mark Gagnon kind of opens for him. Really talented stand up comedian, young guy, up and coming. He's awesome. Like, Mike, you called it out on Instagram, and I totally agree. I think he's going to be like a really big deal, like a less problematic Crystalia. <laughs> and 
And then in between them, they had someone more from our world, like a YouTuber, this guy named George Janko, who I'd never really heard of, but apparently he's like the co-host of like the the Logan Paul uh, podcast. And then Schultz sort of closes. And it was a really interesting... Tell me what you thought, Mike, because, you know, I think it was a really interesting case of sort of like craft versus hype. So George has a pretty big following, way bigger than Mark's because, you know, he's doing this major podcast and he's a YouTuber, but he doesn't have the reps. Like, so he's like a performer. He's got some charisma. He's got, you know, some good energy, but you see the difference between somebody that's really been on the road doing stand up like day, you know, thousands of times versus somebody that's done it like 20 or 30 times that, but has a big name coming into it. And yeah, George did fine, but in comparison to Schultz and Mark, it wasn't it wasn't close. And you could kind of tell it from the from from the crowd and uh, everyone we sort of talked to. But it was a lot of fun. Had a good sort of hangout. Talked some ideas for future collaborations. All about media stuff. And yeah, it was just a a pretty fun weekend. But man, whenever I get away. Especially for that long, like normally the longest I'm sort of away from the normal work schedule is like three or four days. And even that's pretty unusual, maybe just for a conference or something like that. But to get away for like six or seven days, I think it was good because probably overdue after a long pandemic. But it, I come back like, I mean, I was kind of tired because we were kind of partying a lot too. (laughs) I am so ready to go, like so ready to build. It's almost like when you're away from your day-to-day routine, you really start thinking about it a little bit more critically and a little bit deeper. So it really made me think just like, okay, I'm not doing, you know, I don't get to get into the shop, don't get to build. And so when I think about what I'm going to do to come back, I really start prioritizing what are the really important projects that I want to work on? How am I going to do them efficiently? How am I going to do multiple ones at the same time? So I hope that, you know, I can sort of make up for that, that week of missed time simply by sort of refreshing myself and really sort of focusing on what's important. Nice. And speaking of what's important, let's take a break and give a couple of thanks to some of our amazing sponsors. As usual, this episode is sponsored by SawStop. SawStop is a great sponsor. They support the podcast and they have table saws that we all use. I have the contractor one. Chris has which one, Chris? The PCS Professional Cabinet Saw. And Mike occasionally uses my contractor one while he's setting up his mega shop. Job site saw coming soon, though, so stay on the lookout. You'll get the review on the podcast. So shout out to SawStop. They keep us safe. It's a great tool. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. And while we're at it, I'd like to give a big thanks to Indeed.com for sponsoring today's episode. The key to success is finding an edge and leveraging it. If you're hiring, that edge is Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview candidates all on Indeed. With Indeed, you get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Plus, you only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. And with tools like Indeed Instant Match, you get quality candidates whose resumes match your job description immediately. And Indeed's skills test on average reduce hiring time by 27%. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. So get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash modern. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash modern. Last time that is Indeed.com slash modern. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode of the Modern Maker Podcast is sponsored by Skillshare, the online learning community. No matter what 2021 brings, you can spend it creating something meaningful with Skillshare's online classes because time is what we make of it. 
Learn about illustration, design, photography, productivity, and more with Skillshare's online classes. With Skillshare's short classes, you can move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold, like I did when I recently took video for Instagram, tell an engaging story in less than a minute, taught by Halise Nervez. Staying on top of my Instagram and content game is super important for myself and modern builds, so thanks Skillshare. And right now, if you follow our link, that's Skillshare.com slash ModernMaker, our listeners get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. That way you can take some classes and see what fits you best. Once again, that's Skillshare.com slash ModernMaker, where our listeners get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. Now back to the show. All right. So one of the things I want to talk about sort of came up when I was doing Schultz's podcast. And I make it very clear that I'm not an expert in all the things I talk about. I feel like I am a decent expert in sustainable things and design related things and architecture. And that's about it. Everything else, I'm either pretty good, intermediary, or just a sort of educated consumer. But what's really interesting is if you talk about these things, an audience is always like, well, you're not an expert. Why is your opinion even valid? And I think that's something the three of us kind of get in our sort of space. Chris is more of a fine woodworker. Mike and I are more of DIYers that occasionally do projects at different degrees of difficulty. I still think Mike's cookie table was like outstanding, that cookies and cream table that was as good as anybody that I've seen that, that does that professionally. And it had his own little sort of design flair. It really fit the context. But you'll also do things out of two by fours. So it's it's interesting to me that one, experts aren't always that popular. When you get an expert on, they have to qualify a lot of the things that they talk about. Because if you can ask an expert a simple question, they have to give you a complex answer to reinforce their expertise. The same thing. If you ask a a fine woodworker to make a coffee table. It's not going to be a quick coffee table. It's going to be a long (laughs) coffee table. It's going to involve like 32 steps because they have to justify those credentials. Mike and I can be opportunistic if we just see a quick and dirty, easy way to make something that still looks halfway decent. So one of the main criticisms I got from the show was when I was talking about tech. But I wasn't trying to talk about tech like, hey, I know all these things. I'm an insider. I know people at all the firms that I talk about. I follow this sort of advice. I invest in these companies. But in that context, I was really just trying to explain as someone that realizes history is going to be shaped by these companies. I'm interested in where the country and the world is going economically. So knowing a little bit about these companies, I think, helps me be informed about the shape of the world. And I like invest in all of them. So that makes me sort of pay attention. And it was kind of just a conversation of how me, Mike, and Norbert, and some of our other friends all talk about our various investment strategies when we're sitting around a fire. But do you guys get that that sort of like that pressure to be an expert or like not talk about it? Chris, what's your perspective? Because you're a resident expert here. You know, I don't like, I mean, I think that I've always made a very conscious decision to either downplay or wear on my sleeve my lack of expertise because That's I'm true. trying to kind of avoid those things. And like, I don't know if it makes you unhumble to say you're humble, but <laughs> I try <laughs> but to But you're be a really very, grounded guy. But I'm extremely yeah, humble. You One definitely of the most do. humble people ever, really, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, probably the most. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it's funny, actually. So like last week, I put out a video that was, you know, I do like the trapezoidal boxes a lot. And so I decided, you know, I need like one video that encapsulates everything in one place. And I feel like it's something that like, if I'm an expert on anything, not saying I'm an expert on this, but like, it would be something like this. Like I do quite a bit of this. I've done it a number of times. I've figured out the theories and the math on it just through sheer trial and error and repetition. And they'll be, it's funny, like there's even comments where like, you can tell the person commented like seven minutes into the video where they make some kind of assumption like, Oh, you could do this. And then on a couple of them, I replied and be like, keep watching the video. And, and then a few <laughs> of them even com- they caught them something like, Oh, I should have watched the rest of the video before I comment on this because I literally said like, okay, the assumption that people are going to make is that it's not probably going to make sense to people if I say it right now, but it's essentially why you would not want to use the same approach to make 
a square box as you would for a trapezoidal one, use the same like technique or like workflow to do it. But people kept commenting like halfway through the video, like, oh, you could use this same technique to just make a square. And it's like, I literally addressed that exact thing in there. So I guess the point of that as it relates to expertise would just be that people, maybe commenters fancy themselves as more as experts than they are. Ooh, I think we all need that. <laughs> I'm not an expert. That was a really nice way of putting it, Chris. Yeah. Well, if you're not an expert and you're still showing what you're doing, like, how do you, like, what's the lens and how you view that? So one of the things that I was sort of thinking about is one of my favorite content producers ever was Anthony Bourdain. He actually was not an expert chef. He was, he worked in a kitchen. He worked as sort of like a sous chef and I, he may have been a head chef for a brief amount of time, but not at like a prestigious Michelin star restaurant. But what he was really good at was telling stories about food in a very relatable way because most of the audience aren't professional chefs. And so you would see like professional chefs early in his career kind of criticize him and being like, why is everyone listening to these guys? He's not, or why is everyone listening to Bourdain? He's not this expert. He does, he's never opened a, a famous restaurant. But I think that was actually what people wanted to hear was they wanted to take the next step. And I've always thought that like a truly great mathematician doesn't necessarily make a great math teacher at like an intermediary level. And I've always thought that that was sort of my role wasn't to show you the best way to make things or the most precise way to do woodworking. I mean, there's way more people that are way better than me at that in our community. There's, there's just so many of them, like Frank Howarth, Wood Whisperer, Chris, you know, just to name a few. But I, what I always sort of thought was trying to, I would always think of it, the lens that I approached it was, there's a lot of people that want their home to look unique and cool on a reasonable budget. Now, obviously, not everything I do, especially these days, is budget-friendly, but there's plenty of things that are intermixed along the way. And I just want to sort of show from that lens, if you do have basic tools, if you do have just a little bit of, you know, go after it kind of an attitude and a little bit of curiosity, you can make things that you could never buy that are unique, one-of-a-kind, and that fit the space and style of your domestic place. Yeah, I think that's cool because not being an expert is going to give you a take that's going to be completely unique. Whenever I build with you, Ben, it's much different than whenever I build with Chris because Chris is very traditional hybrid woodworking, right? He came out of the Mark Spagnolo book and then created his own style. Ben just kind of like came out of wherever Ben came from, man. You know what I mean? And your design and the way you build things is just a lot... It's a lot more like additive than most woodworking, which is very subtractive, I guess is the way I would define right. it. And that's like a take on DIY that didn't exist really on YouTube before I saw it from you. It's something that I incorporated pretty heavily because, well, whenever I was learning how to build things, I was learning things from the people on YouTube. And whenever I was getting that kind of primary design inspiration, like I fed a lot of that off of you. And... I have like a small amount of that, right? Like you see that in the sofa I made a little bit. Like there's some bin inspired elements that I would definitely point to you. But you've but added not to being it an too. expert. With like the laminate exactly. and some of these other things that you've been doing more recently, you're like folding it back. And like now I'm getting like ideas. Like I'm like, oh, how come I've never done laminate? And those kind of like curved geometric, you know, postmodern well, kind of stuff. Well, dude, respect because I, well, I appreciate it. But that's the whole idea is like you not being an expert it was like your lack of technical skills that made for cool design right? in certain, in certain situations. And that should be celebrated, right? Because you're going to eventually become a quote unquote expert of whatever you pigeonhole yourself into. But if you're coming into something clean, that's when you get the most original takes. I remember talking a couple weeks ago about diving into all of these rugs that these like tufting guns have sort of enabled. So you got all these people who are artists, in, in completely different mediums. I do sculpture. I do painting. I do whatever else they do. They just have a creative kind of like pursuit. And then they see like this new avenue of freehand rug making. And the shapes and the styles that people are coming up with are things that I've never seen in rugs. There's a lot of things that call back to like 70s, like organic and abstract shapes that I sort of see, but it's like a completely new take. And the majority of these people that I found making rugs have no traditional 
like education and design, let alone any technical expertise in rug making. Right. No, that's and it's fantastic. It's I think what it's tricky because if you're an expert, right? So if you studied something and have like a degree in it, and then you're speaking about that issue, you almost have a responsibility to the field. So if you're an expert woodworker and you know you're sort of in fine woodworking and all the high-end things, and you do a piece of content. Every step you do, you kind of have to explain a lot to it, especially if you sort of really think of yourself in that thing. You have to uphold the credentials. And so, you might be a moment where you want to kind of break the rules, but I think sometimes it's hard for people with those credentials because they know they're going to be judged way harsher. Where, like, if you're a classic, classically trained violinist, but you just want to kind of make some folksy kind of jam music that actually could be really popular. I mean, the most complex music that's the hardest to make isn't always the stuff that rises up the chart. It could be right. very difficult because you're thinking about the judgment of your peer group, which are also all other you know, highly trained classical musicians. But what yeah. happens is you end up performing for a very small audience instead of a big audience. You're performing out of fear of the judgment of other experts, and that can kind of normalize the voices where it's like all the experts start to sound relatively similar with a few sort of areas of research or development that are kind of their own particular style. So, I think what's what's kind of the, the freedom in our positions to sort of different degrees is... <laughs> we can sort of represent a broader, more diverse set, which is the audience. So, if there's a, you know, a billion people on YouTube, most of them are not expert woodworkers. Most of them don't have table saws. Most of them don't have these things. And by sort of approaching it through the lens of, I'm building stuff that's just a step beyond what they can do right now, but hopefully what they can grow into with some of the earlier and easier projects, I'm... I'm not, I'm, my expertise is in their abilities, not in the height of what the best woodworkers in the world with a Frank Howard style shop can do. This, this may be kind of tangential to what we're talking about, but it, it just reminded me of something that I've thought about in the past, especially when I was littler. But when you think of somebody who's in an, an expert in a field or just somebody that's very knowledgeable and smart about some sort of topic... I always think of them on two different ways. So there's like the type of person that I guess for lack of a better way, maybe you'd say like they don't suffer fools or something, right? Or there's like a, an air of intimidation about them because they're an expert in this field. Whereas then there's the opposite end of that spectrum. And so actually the person that jumps to mind is like Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody who's like obviously very smart. I don't know if he's the smartest physicist, but he's like very he's good at like... Well, but he's very good at getting people excited about yeah. it and yes. and he's passionate about it and he, he's evangelizing and whatever he's doing. He's progressing it because there's going to be kids that are going to get into that because of him. Yes. And so I remember when I was younger, I used to think that like, okay, so there's, there's these people that are smart and intimidating. And then there's these people that are really smart, but like welcoming. And so I always thought the, the, intimidating person is actually not as smart because like they don't have the bandwidth to realize that everybody can't be on their level. And so I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that like, it's actually a difference between like intelligent, like IQ and EQ. And so that person's probably just lacking an emotional quotient or, you know, they're lower in that way. And so they aren't able to I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel like there's a weird thing where we put on the pedestal almost somebody that doesn't suffer fools as if they're smarter, but I think it's the opposite of true. Here's a great, here's a great way to think about it. We're, you guys know who the Ames is, right? Incredible, yeah. incredible advancements in furniture design were made, made by the Ameses. Now, are they expert woodworkers? Absolutely not. Probably not. not. They worked in like fiberglass, plywood. They really popularized a lot of that kind of mid-century modern exposed edge plywood look. Now, I bet you, and this would be a fun research project, the woodworkers of that time were probably just like crapping all over them. Who do these people think they are coming in? They're doing like 
chrome steel bases on bent plywood. Plywood is a cheap nothing. No, you have to make a Windsor chair. You have to carve it. You have to lathe each spindle. But who won that argument? The guy making another chair that was just one degree different than the chair it came before? Or the people that came in, broke the rules, experimented with all kinds of different things, made furniture, made architecture, made devices for soldiers. They just designed experimented and created all sorts of new things and you now know who's in the sort of museums and the the history books about furniture and industrial and product design they are not the expert that was critiquing them for the way they were breaking the rules so suck it chair guy you lost Ames, Ames man Ames man <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay boom being an uh, expert doesn't matter well sometimes it can be a crutch it's really great as a resource. Like I like having friends that are experts because I'll pick their brain. Like Cutworks, I think he's an expert at welding. Yeah. So if I have like a welding or fabrication question, that's just like one degree farther than my experiments have currently taken me, I pull in those expertise. So I've hired him to both consult and to physically help me with the container house because my welding was just okay but I had never sort of welded structural things that were this big. And so bringing him in to help me to walk me through the steps that were just out of reach. And I'm so thankful to have him as a friend and someone I can rely on because he's put in all this time. And I, I don't want to put the 10,000 hours into welding research because I'm distributing those 10,000 hours across plastics, recycling, windmill blades, woodworking, concrete, Bitcoin, all these kind of things that I'm interested in. So, what's nice is to have the relationship where you can either provide resources for these experts when you hire them or collaborate with them and pull them in. And then you're kind of, you're you're sort of synergizing your sort of combined effects. Cutworks hasn't experimented with shipping container houses because he's more fabricating the same thing, developing the expertise. So, I can bring an interesting challenge that then is enabled by his expertise and that investment of all that time. Boom. And that's where it's mutual and it works out, right? Because so much of it is genuine, probably personality types at the end of the day. Like if you're somebody that gets distracted and kind of is a little bit scatterbrained in terms of their focus, then they're going to lean towards the direction of being a generalist, like what you're talking about versus a specialist. Right. And you want to you, you want to think of it as like a team, right? Like it's like the day mm-hmm. team. You kind of have like Mr. T's, the specialist and just like, you know, muscling people up beating people right (laughs) or it's like in the heist movies there's like the specialist the the safe cracking guy guy. versus like the sleight of hand guy (laughs) versus like the guy that's really charming and distracts people yeah versus the little flexible guy that fits into the safe (laughs) we're just talking about oceans Oceans 11 11. (laughs) versus your don Cheadle type (laughs) yo that's what oceans 11 was they just took every like the heist movie, like person. Normally, there's just like two or three in a movie. They're just like, we'll put them all in. Make eleven. Right. What do you mean, them. all of them? Complementary expertise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. but that's the beauty of building a network. You got to have that network of people to not to like rely on, but to to like build off of and inspire. Did yeah. you have like? Has there been a lot of blowback to you being on the podcast? Because I'll say I listened to like the whole episode, all what two and a half hours of it or whatever, and. There were a lot of times where like he would ask you about something and I would just be like, like I would kind of get nervous for you in a way, I guess, because I know you. So I have like that sympathetic nerve or whatever, whereas I would just be like, oh, I'd just be like, I don't know. And then they'll just like clam up or whatever. And I thought you had a good way of like not. So so maybe this comes off to some people as like you feigning being an expert or whatever. But it seemed to me like if it was an area that you just like kind of knew a little bit about, you would just wonder about it aloud instead of saying i don't know you would ask a question have a conversation and so like that's not being an yeah. expert that's just and like, talking yeah. about something right. and not just, saying and genuinely I don't know just saying down. yeah and genuinely saying oh but also do your own research just closing a statement with that is like just safety net insured uh, the way i sort of approach it is i'm always comfortable sharing how i'm thinking about something as long as mm. i'm trying to make it clear that I'm not certain about any of these things. And I often think that that's what helps me when I listen to other people is not telling me the answer. If they tell me their approach to the way they're breaking down the problem, that's way more intriguing and and thoughtful. So if somebody was saying, here's how to build a table and they just started listing steps rather than saying like, well, if you're going to build a table, 
Think about what sort of resources you have. Think about what sort of materials are available to you. And then sort of combine this. I, it's much more useful for me to hear them telling me the way to approach the problem with the conceptual resources I have, rather than sort of assuming the highest level of context for that field and then explaining it. So if I'm going to talk about tech, I'm going to talk about it relative to my worldview and how I think these powerful forces are shaping. I'm not going to tell you, oh, they use this type of code and these type of servers and then these created this. No, that that's definitely the expert realm that I'm sort of out of. The response has been overwhelmingly positive as it comes over to my feed. So no one's come over to right. Instagram and yelled <laughs> at me. But like a lot of people, I had a big following boost from that week. So that part's really good. When I looked at the comments, the funniest one was the meanest one. The one comment that upset me the most is the people that said, like, I look like a better looking version of the guy from Impractical Jokers. And I was like, what are you really talking about? And then I, I looked at the picture and I'm about. like, ah, fuck. <laughs> they kind, not Murray. Not Murray. <laughs> like, they kind of got a point. And I'm like... God damn it. <laughs> I've never thought that. But when, that when they the said that, I didn't that, know which one they were talking about. That was the comment that bothered me. <laughs> Not going to lie. Straight up. It's really easy to say, oh, I don't look at the comments. I don't care. Most of them I saw, it was like a context thing where they're like, oh, well, well, you didn't say this or what about this? And I was like, look, I don't like it when people overly explain their answers. You can do that. But then it takes like, 20 minutes for a simple answer but you know in these conditions and not subject it's like reading a disclaimer look this was a conversation amongst two friends it should be treated as that and i think the people that treated that way which is the context i was sort of speaking in it was overwhelmingly positive and likes to dislike ratio pretty good and thank god i passed the view numbers for their previous sort of guest the ayahuasca guy can't quite beat jordan peterson not quite there oh, yet okay obviously <laughs> jordan peterson has a huge following so you know, he's going to get more clicks, but did some some decent numbers relative to their their other guests. And it's still early. But yeah, I was about saying that's the cool thing, too, is like y'all being homies. It like lets him experiment with a new format too. like launching with Jordan Peterson. Shouts out to Schultz because you got to hold it down because, you know, a lot of people are going to come in and watch that because yeah. he brings so many so many viewers. But also like doing it amongst friends, people like you, I'm sure gives a lot of cr like freedom to to prep, but also know that there's never any problem talking. Right. Yeah. So no dead space, no awkward things. We didn't really cut anything. And they, cut a, lot like of, they cut a lot of stuff from other interviews from like the Jordan Peterson one. They, they cut it, I think from like, you know, a couple hours down to an hour and a half just because there was oh, wow. some. So that was the part that I was pretty satisfied with is delivered to minutes, minimal editing for the team. We all know how much editing is. So if you can be on point, Shout that's out Richard. a blessing. Yeah, the whole crew is going to be like, yeah, we got to have Ben back on. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah it was hey, you held it down too. You know, we don't do this podcast visibly. We're, we're just, it's audio only. But man, you looked cool, calm, and collected. I liked your posture. You literally never shifted in your chair. It was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean. You did good. I picked the chairs. They're comfortable. <laughs> right. So. You know. I want to put out a blanket statement about uh, telling people they look like somebody. You should only mm. only do that if you're going to tell them they look like somebody who's thought of as good looking. Because otherwise, you're basically saying you don't look good to somebody. Nah. I think it was supposed to be a roast. It, <laughs> it, it's perfect for that context, right? Like, it should bother me. And it's like funny because it's like, it's just... Just a little bit of truth. Just true just like enough. A tiny <laughs> and like just unflattering enough. I mean... Now we're just shitting all over this guy, Muir or Murray. So, <laughs> Is that the one they said you look yeah. like? Murray, you do not look like him. And no, I don't think so either. It's, it's, wait, who did you think he looks like though? Because if there's anyone on them? the cast, no, right? Because all the others are like kind of heavy dudes. guy with like his jaw and like mouth and eyes are just a little bit there. It's just, okay, I can see it. It's like maybe with a big smile, like yeah. if Ben was putting on a Ben smile, you almost, a big smile, you would almost okay. resemble him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you have your hair, so you win that battle. Uh, Boom. Keeping it for now. We'll see. <laughs> Shout out to Hims. <laughs> Shout out to Hims. So, well, Bro, you well, already well, know. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I, if you go on a comedy podcast, you got to kind of expect those shots and it's kind of fun and it makes me feel like, oh, I'm in this kind of world. So that was sort of delightful, but yeah, that was, that was the comment that got me. 
It's like, oh, yeah, damn it. Were there any other kind of like surprises it, like entering general population, as you would call it? Because we're just in a niche category all the time. This is like there's a there's a new talk it or a new audience. I, I'm sorry. So many of my high school friends hit me up on Facebook, right? Because mm. like my high school friends are the type of people that would watch like Joe Rogan or Schultz or these kind of, you know, fighter and kids. As if we don't. Right. But, you know, more so <laughs> than like my college friends, like none of them saw it. Uh-huh. For sure. So it's like they hit me up like crazy, like because they didn't. They're also not all following me on like Instagram. We're like Facebook friends from when like Facebook first started. So they didn't see me. I didn't post about it on Facebook. So they saw it direct from the source with like no warning. So if you're watching some, (laughs) some like, you know, decent sized show that you walk on a week, watch on a weekly basis. And then someone you went to high school just pops up and they're talking about things you didn't know they knew anything about. It's like really weird. So that was kind of, that was really fun. Do you think you guys are the most famous person from your like graduating class of high school? I haven't been around. I have, I've only been out of high school for like seven years. I haven't had enough time to let that play out. <laughs> ben, what about you? Yeah. I would say so far. Yes, though. But yeah. Ben I, hit it. Objectively, yeah. probably Mike. What about you, Chris? I would. So there was a guy that I went to high school with that pitched for a few different professional teams and he was in the world series one year and had like a really big game. But I would say I've, I've jumped ahead of him now because his heyday would have been like Let's 10 go. years ago. What's up now? Late bloomers. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Yeah, definitely not from college. College, there's a lot of people that, that yeah, right, are, 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 are way bigger. That's a big pool though. You know, still early. We'll see. Yeah, I know. I got plenty him. of time to flame out. Mike, we still got to get your billboard. That solidifies oh, yeah. it 100%. Oh, you Sign, should put sealed, it next delivered. to your high school. Dude, I can't believe you guys brought that up because you know how iPhone does like photo memories or it does yeah. like it pulls it like up a year pictures ago today or something. This pull out my phone. What am I doing? Taking a number two, of course. I mm. swipe open my phone and it's straight open to that. And I was and it reminded me. I chuckled out loud because it was funny because it just says somebody <laughs> that listens to the show made a photoshopped version of yeah, the billboard. Yeah, yeah. It's just my that. big goofy face, and underneath it just says "Modern Builds." Just Google it. <laughs> yeah. let's go gotta get that done all right what are you guys yeah. been obsessed with Ooh, mike go for it <laughs> okay think. me i'm gonna do a music recommendation mm. this is a band called fiddlehead. fiddlehead they are on the album or i'm sorry they're on the record label run for cover records they're very they're they're a classic run for cover band if you're a fan of basement the guitarist from basement pretty much started this band fiddlehead they're very good. They just put out like a little three track project and it's their best yet. They're a little like whatever you would call just like, you know, they're just like an indie kind of emo band or whatever, but their their recordings in the past have been a little bit raw on purpose. This mm-hmm. one, they tighten things up a little bit. And I'm assuming that's sort of like in preparation to release a full length that is ready for a couple kind of singles that do well. So yeah, check out Fiddlehead. If you like their music, stay tuned because I have to imagine they're going to keep getting a little bit more polished, ready for a big release. Mike, I'm making a request. It's almost summer. You need to make a summer jams playlist. Mm. I'm ready. I'll work on that. That sounds pretty fun. Outdoor construction, something we can put on the Bluetooth speakers. Yep. It's every genre, but it's all good vibes. Pop those shirts off. Shotgun some beers. Let's go. I'm going to make one too. Get some sublime on there, dude. (laughs) Sublime. Yeah. I'm going to just all sublime and Will Smith summertime. Every other track. (laughs) Chris, what do you got? Yeah, go for it, Chris. I have to think. I'm not prepared. Ben, do you have anything off the top of your head while I think? I've been experimenting with some different sort of cryptocurrency investments. I Uh made a lot of mistakes in cryptocurrency. I got into Bitcoin really early, sold even earlier. So I like bought around like $60, sold around 600 thought I was pretty clever. Obviously not. Bought back in at around ten to 15000 in different increments and then really enjoyed the ride up. So I've been thinking about like, how do I both take advantage of what I sort of know about internet culture and media and apply it to these things, which are absolutely terrible investments, but you can see them gaining traction relative to sort of internet momentum. So I sort of saw Dogecoin trending like day after day. And I'm like, that would be so expensive to get that to trend. So I bought Dogecoin 
first end of round was sort of one cent, a little bit less than that. I think it was 0.7 was the first purchase. And then I kept buying it up to about like 1.8 cents. And then again, made the same mistake, sold off a bunch of it around seven cents to cover my basis, and then sold some more around like 20 to 30, and then only had a little bit left to kind of sell it at 70 cents. But I think I turned about $1,000 into about $8,000. So overall, pretty good. So by no means is this investment advice. This is pure luck, speculation. It's basically the budget I used to spend on sports gambling is now around this. So well, your Dogecoin is pretty safe because right now it's at 0.46. So when you did sell in hindsight, it's actually not a terrible time assuming, you know, and I did sell, I did hang on some to like 60 and 70 cents. So exactly did. Okay. But I could have probably, if I played it perfectly, I would have like 70 X my money. And instead I about eight X it. Yeah. So still good, but played it safe along the way. But what was your lesson learned? Is it don't sell too soon? Is it stay in? Is it buy sooner? What is it? I still like the idea of covering your basis as soon as you can, but you want to cover your basis without diminishing your upside. So if you see it 2x, I still wouldn't sell off half. I'd sell off like 10%. And then if it goes up from there, a little bit more. Yeah, that's a good point. So I've been talking to my buddies in the know and sort of looking at like, what's the next one I'm going after? So I'm kind of experimenting with BitCloud a little bit, sort of fun. Not really going anywhere yet. We'll see. I'm kind of holding in that. Didn't put a lot into it. The new one I'm looking get some at. Logan. If you're on BitCloud, get some Logan Paul coin. He's like, uh, he's the one kind of pushing it the hardest that I'm aware of. And he's about to have a fight with Floyd Mayweather. So get that Logan Paul coin if you yeah. want. I would still look for someone new. New is better. New and someone that's going to really use the platform is 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 a, is the other way to go. Sure. But the this new is a little one I'm top looking down. at. Yeah. Yeah. The new one I'm looking at is... Okay, this is a really offensive name. So <laughs> no bleeps, you know, but this is your trigger warning. This, this is, is just your, what it's this called. This is your trigger warning. Just positive. The kids are watching. The episode only has like five minutes, anyways. You know, if if you're uh, if you don't like profane, disgusting things, this is probably not <laughs> the cryptocurrency for you, or you're not going to miss much of the podcast. Just go ahead and yeah, and, and cash it out right now. So it's called Cum Rocket. <laughs> nice and it's exactly what you're thinking it's spelled the exact same way yeah one word and it's kind of like an OnlyFans styled crypto cryptocurrency now i'm not interested in its actually sort of currency the way it's intended to be used but the way that's tied into a a, the adult entertainment industry boom well i was thinking of it more as an influencer community that's hugely influential but doesn't typically play in sort of more polite circles of society. Sure. But when you look at who was making Dogecoin trend early, it was a lot of people in that same industry. So here's a coin that's sort of built around them that's really explicit. I also think there's sort of a Reddit contingent that would like the idea of just that you could spell out come rocket to the moon in emojis like pretty easily. Yeah. (laughs) So it's got a lot going for it. And like also that's a that's a whole platform and like media scape that's very tip heavy. And if these right. people No pun intended. Yeah, ex- oh wow, dude, <laughs> that was hilarious. But if you if you're if you take golly, what do you, there's no way I could say this. If you were to take golly cum rocket tip instead of US dollars <laughs> tip, you're incentivized. You know what I mean? But like who else is gonna do it? Who else made VR happen? Porn yeah. industry. Boom. So again. These are very small bets relative to sort of net worth because they should because they're super high risk. They could totally blow up. Who knows what's behind it? But for me, it's much more... I look at the bet as sort of betting on some an idea's ability to memify and gain traction more than the sort of fundamental technology behind it, which I'm not an expert in blockchain, cryptocurrency, or anything like that. But, you know, I think you can sort of see the potential in sort of a media phenomena to to sort of have a surge and that's really people say there's no fundamentals no the fundamentals is the media surge go for a hypothetical since it's been a minute since we've done a hypothetical would you rather let's say you start some kind of like noble well i guess it wouldn't be a non-profit you start something noble you sell it you make 35 million dollars or you make 70 million dollars all on cum rocket Mm. (laughs) what would you rather do and you're oh. known for it publicly. $35 million doing something noble. Mike? What was the two numbers? 
35 70. So basically it's double. Just double. Just and 35 is already a lot. It's already a lot. So, okay, I've had this kind of conundrum in my head before of like, what's the noble thing to do, right? So like your first gut reaction is to be like, take the 35 and have done something noble. But the one, if you said, well, but I could take that 70 and like do something noble. Think of how many cleft lips you could fix with that extra $35 million or whatever. So I would say it this way. You make a, tw- a movie that costs $20 million. Uh-huh. You want it to, would you rather it gross $35 million and win an Academy Award or just gross $70 million and be terrible? <sighs> See, that's a, I think about that as a little different because... That's the lens in how I was answering. I want to know what this noble cause is that we're all making 35,000 or a million dollars. That sounds great. It's an actual, so you furthered mankind through space exploration by building an actual rocket that runs off of cum. Dude, then that's so easy. <laughs> like, if I can do that, I can do anything I set my mind to. I just want Unlimited the ability... fuel supply. I want, here's yeah. what it is. I want the ability to make the noble cause make me $35 million because if I can do that, I can make anything happen. Right. Like, if you can if do you the can right do thing... Parents listen to this podcast? If you can do the right thing, help people yeah, and make $35 million, I think you're pretty much good Happy and Mother's you can do Day. anything. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> wow. What an episode, guys. This one's been a fun one. Uh, to all the listeners out there, if you've got any topic suggestions, any hot crypt- crypto tips, send them our way. <laughs> we would love to hear what you guys think about what we're talking about and what you think we should talk about next. Holler at us on Instagram. Ben is at Benjamin Ueda, U-Y-E-D-A. Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture, F-O-U-R. And I am at Modern Builds. And you spell my name Mike, M-I-K-E. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Bye.